Father, all we are is yours. All we want to be is yours. And yet we also know our hearts and our lives which so often and so easily betray our unfaithfulness to you. But Father, we thank you that when we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. We thank you that while we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. And we ask, Lord, that you would take my words that you would allow that which is not from you to fall to the sides like chaff and that which is of you to take root in our hearts Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it really is so good to be back at about, you know, as I said, like part of the reason I turn around is sometimes to know how many people there are. And like this is perhaps the quietest Sunday of the summer, I was thinking, because it's not only still well into the summer holidays from school, but it's also a bank holiday weekend here in Ayrshire, isn't it? And so... um, and uh, so I just thought, well, there could be hardly anybody here. And I was going to ask you all to come forward so we could fill the front two rows. And then I turned around again and it was like actually like kind of full down there and, and more people. And especially when the kids are in. But um, I'd like you, if you have Bibles with you or tablets or phones, however it is that you access your Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, I also feel that I need to apologize slightly. I took uh, commentaries away with me, both on holiday. I took commentaries on holiday, and I was like, do you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read these commentaries devotionally myself, and I didn't. And then I took them away to Naturally Supernatural, and I, and I thought, I'm gonna use these commentaries to prepare, uh, prepare the word that I think God might be wanting to speak to me and through me this coming Sunday. And then at a Christian conference, one of my commentaries went missing. But because it was a Christian conference, I know that I must have forgotten where I put it, okay? Because nobody. But if anybody did happen to unpack their bags and find my uh, Tom Wright commentary on Ephesians, I would love to get it back. But as I say, so there's a slight apology there because some of this may not be as well rooted in, uh, in study as often I would want it to be. And yet uh, it is God's word and from, from the most illiterate person to the to the greatest PhD in theology, God can speak through all of us. So um, I'm going to read to you from verse 15 of chapter 1. Paul writes, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit or give you a spirit. I'm going to change that to give you a spirit. If you read the NIV, you'll know that um, it says give you the spirit. Um, but in, it also has a little footnote and it says it could also be interpreted a spirit. The reason that I'm going to change that to a spirit, I think that is the better translation. And it is simply because of this. Uh, in the earlier verses preceding these ones, Paul, is right, Paul makes it clear that he's writing to a group of believers who already have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And so he can't be talking about the Spirit. He's saying, I want to, I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, they already have the Spirit who gives wisdom. So I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, a real passion and desire for wisdom and revelation so that you may know him, that is God, better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I can remember when I was a child, and, uh, and um, as you know, like, this isn't kind of like me bigging me up or anything like that, but I was an okay rugby player when I was younger, and <laughs> much younger. And uh, I can remember that sometimes you would get people come and coach you. So, right, so like Derek used to be a good rugby player, okay? Even longer ago than I used to be a good rugby player. Um, and, and, and what would happen is as this next generation of okay rugby players were coming up, or footballers, or dancers, or musicians, or, or, or whatever it might happen to be, somebody like Derek would come along and they would come along and they would say I I used to know how to play rugby I used to be good at rugby I used to be good at dancing I used to be good at playing the piano or whatever it might happen to be and I am going to show you how you can also be good at it but the problem is this that Derek has stagnated Okay, Derek has got old. Derek's rugby is no longer up to date. It is no longer in vogue. His piano playing skills or his fiddle skills or his ballet skills, whatever it might happen to be. I've been trying to teach the girl. I used to do ballet when I was a little boy. Whoa. Um, and I've been trying to teach the girls the different positions, okay? So, like, we've got first, first position, I think, second position, third position, fourth position. And... and uh, <laughs> And, but, but like my ballet skills and my ballet teaching skills have stagnated because it is over 30, well it's even more than that, years since I did any ballet. Um, and just as Derek's rugby skills and his ability to teach young people about rugby, I stopped playing rugby four years ago and every now and then I get this little kind of urge to go back and play. But I realise that even in four years I have stagnated, I have forgotten how the game has come on, the game has developed. And what I was actually thinking about is... Isn't it a sad thing when you see somebody stagnate? 
Okay, I'm, I'm just joking about the kind of rugby and the ballet. But isn't it a sad thing when you see somebody get stuck in the past? When you see somebody, you know, to, to, to broaden it out to those of you who are still working, it's like continuing professional development. It's a horrible, horrible thing when you see somebody who 20 years into a profession or 10 years into a profession or five years into a profession is still in exactly the same place they were when they started that profession. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? Because obviously, in your professional life or in your, or in your, in your hobbies and that sort of thing, you, you, there's, there's always something new to learn. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. I love, that, I love that saying. And that is so true of every single area of life. And it, and, and it is perhaps at its, most, uh, at its most true when it comes to the Christ-following life. When it comes to the Christ-following life, I, I just have this kind of suspicion in my gut, and it's partly because I know me, and I know what my life has been like over the 15, past 15 and a half years far too often, but also just because I look around churches, and I read stuff, and I, and I try and listen to stuff from wise people, but, but my kind of hypothesis is this. Too many people are living the Christian life that they, that they adopted or, or that was given to them when they when they became Christians. That two, Derek became a Christian in 98, okay? That it, it's, like, it's like Derek coming in and trying to tell the next generation of rugby players how to play rugby. Well, it's like him trying to tell, it's like him trying to disciple his grandchildren when he's still living in 1998. And, and for far too many of us, there is, this, there is this stagnation, there is this standing still, there is this lack of growth in our Christian lives, in our lives as followers of Jesus. And yet what this passage in Ephesians makes absolutely clear is that the Christian life, the life of the Christ follower is not meant to be one in which we stand still. The Christian life is meant to be a life of growth. We are on a trajectory. We are saved only by the grace of Jesus. I say it again and again and again. Please, God, may I never tire of saving it. We are saved only by the grace of Jesus. And yet that grace that saves is also a grace that transforms. And it's a grace that is going to glorify one day. And the reason that I felt I, I wasn't going to speak on Ephesians. And uh, we were camping, as you know, this week. And we got this lovely new tent that somebody very kindly gave to us and, and me and Karen kind of took it nights about to uh, have the girls uh, so that one could go to the meeting um, and, and I was lying there on the air mattress and I was like saying God what you know just would you teach me so that I can speak on Sunday and it was like God said to me speak on this um, which is something I hadn't read for a few weeks I've been reading it while I was on holiday and I think that the reason that God wants me to speak on this is because it's a it's a powerful and yet profound challenge to each of us who have a tendency, and I would say that is probably all of us, to at times stagnate. Because what what's happening at the beginning of Ephesians is Paul is outlining who he's writing to. He's saying who he's writing to. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, probably a group of churches. This would have been a letter that would have been passed around. It would have probably started off in Ephesus and then gone around a little bit of a round robin because obviously they didn't have photocopiers so they couldn't do that. And, and as I said, towards the end of the opening uh, part of Ephesians, uh, of Ephesians, Paul says this, um, 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, he says to the, he says to the Christians in, in Ephesus, and you, and you, Southside, also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, this is a letter to Christians. This is a letter to people who already believe. This is a letter to people who have already received the Holy Spirit in power. Because we know from reading the book of Acts that, that when Paul talks about the receiving of the Holy Spirit, he means that in power, Pentecost filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why there are places that he goes to and he says, oh, you've only received the baptism of John. You haven't received the baptism of Jesus. They, get back, they, they receive the baptism of Jesus and they are filled with the Holy Spirit to move in power. And so, and so we know that Paul is writing to spirit-filled, spirit-enabled, spirit-Christians uh, who are seeking to live in and out of the Holy Spirit. And yet, he then says to them, this is what I pray for you. These are people who know Jesus. He says, I pray that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what? So that you may know him better. In other words, what Paul is saying to these believers is, I don't want you to stagnate on day one. I don't want you to stay on the first day out of theological college. I don't, want to, I don't want you to stay on the first day that you got saved. I don't want you to stay in that place. I want you to know God better. And, 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 and first of all, isn't that an incredible thought? That, that, that how we know God, can you remember the excitement when you first encountered God? That, that, that day, it might have been a day, it might have been a process, but you see it, you see that glow, that excitement, you can remember it in your own lives, and yet what Paul is saying is that is not the pinnacle. That's not the pinnacle, that's not the best day. I always say to people when I'm marrying them, I hope and I pray that your wedding day is not the best day of your life. I say that to them, and sometimes like, you see this look on their face, and they're like, but, but we were brought up thinking that our wedding day was going to be the greatest day of our life. And I say to them, if your wedding day is the pinnacle of your life, if it is the greatest day of your life, then there is something very wrong with your marriage. And it's the same as followers of Jesus. If the day that you became a follower of Jesus is the day that you love God the most, if the day that you became a follower of Jesus is the day that you know God the most, and remember that knowledge in the Bible is always to do with relationship. It's a heart thing. It's why, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, to know somebody was to have sexual intimacy with them. So it's talking about a relational intimacy. But if the day you became a follower of Jesus is the day that you were most intimate with God, there is something very deficient, let's say, wrong even, in your walk with God. Martin Lord-Jones said this, our, our supreme need is to know God. And we might add to that, our supreme need is not only to know God, but to know God better. 
And so that's the very thing that Paul is saying to this group of spirit-filled, Jesus-loving followers of Christ. And so that's the very first thing that I want to say to this spirit-filled, Jesus-loving group of followers of Christ here in this room this morning. Jesus doesn't just want to start, Jesus doesn't just want to leave you there. He doesn't just want you to stagnate. He says, I want you to know me better. I want you to be on a daily journey of discovery and of growing and of, of getting to know me better. And, 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 and one of the challenges that I think we face this week, I, I certainly faced it this week, was about how to get to know God better. And I'll say a little bit more about, about this uh, later on. But I just want to offer some simple kind of simple things that you can do. You know, one of the places that we encounter God is through worship. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not making time in your, in your own life, you know, we gather together for corporate worship, gathered worship together. But this isn't where worship ends. This is where worship begins. And it fires us out into the places where we worship God uh, in our cars, in our homes, whether it's having, wherever it is, I would encourage you, create a place of intimacy with God. Listen to God would be the next thing, you know. I wonder if any, any of you, you're probably all far too nice for this. Okay, but sometimes I am tempted to say, all that person ever does is talk. Do you ever get that? You probably go home and say, all that guy ever does is talk. Okay, but that's what I meant to do at this point. Okay. But I wonder if any of you have friendships in inverted commas where all that ever happens is the other person talks at you. And I was just thinking, I wonder if God ever says, God the Father ever says to God the Son or God the Holy Spirit, all they ever do is talk. <laughs> all they ever do is come to me with a list. All they ever do is, is nag me and nag me and nag me. The girls, when I talk to them now, they say, stop nagging me up, Dad. I wonder if God ever feels like that. Stop nagging me up, son. Stop nagging me up. Would you listen for a minute? How many of you have seen a parent or been a parent or been an aunt or an uncle and you've just said, would you just listen for a moment? And I believe that's what God is saying to us this morning. Would you just listen for a moment? In prayer, in worship, and then as we open our Bibles... I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. And how do we encounter God? Well, we encounter him in so many different ways. But primarily, the first, the primary way that we encounter God is through Jesus. And then after that is through the scripture, which Jesus says testifies to him. I went to a, a really great seminar during the week and it was on spirit-filled preaching. And one of the things that they said, and I was just reminded of this as I was preparing for this morning, and I, I just, is that, you know, have you ever read a book and you just want to go and speak to the author about it and you just want to say, you know, what, what, what did you mean by that or what was that? And it could be like a fiction book or it could be a factual book, a non-fiction book, but you just want to go and speak to the author about it. And, and the guy who was taking it, a guy, a retired bishop in the Church of England, an incredibly, um, an incredibly well-educated guy, a spirit-filled guy, just an awesome guy to listen to and to sit under. And he said, do you realize that you have half of the authors of Scripture living in you? 
And, and the reason he said that is because there are human authors to all of the books of scripture as well. It's not like Muslims believe, which is that, that the Quran is just kind of like God's word dictated through uh, the prophet Muhammad. But we, we don't believe that. We don't believe that scripture was literally like word for word typed out in that way. We believe that there is something incredible as the spirit of God cooperates with the people of God and they put down scripture. And, and so Paul doesn't live in us and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and the prophets don't live in us. So we don't have all of the authors of scripture, but you have half of the authors of scripture living in you. That's amazing, isn't it? You can go to the author and say, author, what did you mean? And because he's a good, good father, he wants to tell you what he means. Paul says first up to this group of spirit-filled, Jesus-loving Followers, disciples, get to know God better. And my first question to us this morning is, are we getting to know God better? Am I getting to know God better? I scribbled it down, one of the key questions for myself this week. Am I really living my life fully under the Lordship of Jesus? And if I am, it will be a life. And if you are, it will be a life that knows better the one who you knew and celebrated back in whenever it was. Paul then goes on and he, pray, and he says, you know, this is what I'm praying for you. And imagine somebody praying for you. It's just absolutely amazing. But he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I looked up the definition. So the first thing that Paul prays for them is that you would know hope. Now remember, these are people who already knew hope. And, what he, and, and so what he's saying is, you knew hope, you know hope, but what you need is to know hope even more. I looked up the definition of hope, and it is this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. And it was that first bit that really hit me. A feeling of expectation. How many of you came to church this morning feeling really expectant? Be honest. How many of you were like absolutely buzzing? I am so expectant. I am filled with hope as I came to church this morning. This is the point at which I would love some of you to put your hands up. Fantastic. So that was, you know, there might be, I don't know whether there's 120 people here or something like that. And about 10 people put their hands up. 10 people came to church filled with hope, filled with expectancy at what God wants, at God, at God full stop. But if you think about it, we should be the most hope-filled people in the world, shouldn't we? Again, answer that if you believe it. Christians, followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus should be the most hope-filled people in the world. And as we look around this world, it is a world that is desperately in need of hope. I wrote some things down. Broken families, children needing meals during school holidays, otherwise they would literally go without Drug and alcohol addiction, loneliness, especially amongst the elderly, but increased uh, social isolation at every level. Young people with incredible uncertainty for their futures. And that was just me thinking about air. That's before we even get to the rest of the world. 
As followers of Jesus, Paul is reminding them, you, you, you have hope already, but you need to see that hope increasing. You, you need, to be, uh, need to see hope growing. We sing sometimes, let hope rise. And so, I, I, you know, I, it'll sound all kind of preachy, but I just want to say, church, let hope rise. Don't let hope stay where it used to be. Let hope be magnified. Let hope grow. May hope uh, grow within us to such an extent that it that it well it should never stay in here but we are called to be light to the world we are called to be bringers of hope into the darkest places and yet sometimes I wonder whether we even realize the hope that we have ourselves and that's basically what Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians and to all of the churches who are reading it and to us today be hope filled remember the hope that is in you The hope to which God has called us. We have hope for the future. We all know that, don't we? We have hope for the future, amen? Amen. But we have hope for today. We have hope for today. And as followers of Jesus, however bleak, however dark, however troubling a situation is, we have hope. To bring into it. And I suppose, yeah, we have hope to bring into it. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, what Paul is recognizing here, I think, is, is that yes, there is hope for today. But we live in this tension. We live in this tension. We live in the tension because we are called to be bringers of hope into the world. And yet, not everybody, not every situation sees the full realization of that hope. We live, as we would often say, in what is known as the tension between the now and the not yet. Between the kingdom uh, breaking out and the kingdom coming in all of its fullness. And so as people who live, you know, as people who live in hope, we also have to live with our eyes on our future inheritance. You know, one, somebody said to me a number of years back, I need to pray more realistically. I think I've shared this before. I need to pray more realistically. And I was just heartbroken. I was heartbroken because what they were saying is, you know, I haven't seen the answers to my prayers. I haven't seen the healings. I haven't seen the salvations. I haven't seen the transformation in relationships or whatever it might happen to be. And so they had resigned themselves to doing what they described as praying more realistically. And I said to them, no, you, please don't pray more realistically. Don't pray more realistically. Pray with expectation. Pray with hope. But also keep your eyes on your future inheritance. Because the reality is that as we seek to live in this hope. And as we seek to live this hope out. And as we seek to be bringers of this hope. There are going to be some people who stay addicted. There are going to be some kids who however much it breaks our hearts are going to continue to live in broken homes. There are going to be some marriages that end. There are going to be some people who are caught in abusive relationships. And yet that should never stop us from being those hope livers that Paul is writing about here. And yet he's also saying that he's praying for them. 
praying for them that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You know, I was at mum and dad's house, and like this is this is terrible, right? But it's because I, I think it was because I was focusing on this passage, and I was like sat in their massive house, and I was like, this is my semi-glorious inheritance. <laughs> But, there is a but to that. There is a but here, okay? I told you it was a bit of a confession. There's a but. You know, I don't care if they give it all away. And, you know, what is it they say about um, at, uh, retired life? Is, it's all about a ski spending the kids' inheritance. Okay? So, if you're a parent, go ahead and do that. Bless people with it. Use it to bless the world. But I was sat there and I was thinking, do you know what? One day, um, you know, my parents want to be able to hand something on to the next generation. One day, they want to be able to give something on. They want to... They, but, but, and, and so, we keep our eyes uh, on the inheritance that God has for us. It's nothing like a lovely house that one day might come to, to Emily and Zoe, hopefully, because mum and dad will be around for years and years but 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 do you hear what I'm saying we have we people inherit in this lifetime and yet we have a way you know we have an inheritance beyond anything stored up for us in heaven it's like the writer it's at the beginning of revelation when it talks about the crown for those who persevere do you realize that you have a crown if you persevere do you realize that your inheritance does not rust it does not fade it, it does not spoil And yet we're not called to live in that place yet. We are called to live in the here and now, being these bringers of hope as followers. uh, Sorry, I I went back to the last point just then. So we point to a day when Jesus is going to be all in all, when his inheritance is going to be fully realized, when his inheritance of life eternal with him is going to be fully realized. And until then, we are called... Let me say it again, to be those bringers of hope into the bleakest of situations. And you might be thinking I'm not doing much on application, but that's because it's about to come. Because then Paul says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That whilst you know hope and work for hope and pray for hope, that you live with eyes on that future inheritance because it doesn't all work out in the here and now. But then he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Um, On Monday this week, I heard what I literally think will be the best. I mean, I pray it won't be because if it isn't, I'm going to be so blessed in my life. But I heard what I believe was the best Bible teaching I have ever heard it it's given me goosebumps just like telling you guys about it I was just sat there and I wanted to cry at the beginning because it was just so amazing Um, and I want to cry to I mean it was just absolutely incredible and as I was putting some notes down for this morning I realized that actually Part of what was shared on Monday morning, you know, we are going to watch it here at Southside. I nearly just played it in its entirety this morning. The best Bible teaching I've ever heard. But I realized that part of it was to be shared this morning. And so unashamedly, I say that I've stolen this. (laughs) 
I've stolen this and I want to pass it on to you guys because I think it is so incredible. But Paul writes here about his incomparably great power for us who believe. And he's talking about the spirit who raised Christ from the dead. That's why he goes on to say that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We have power, yeah? We have power. And yet so often you would look at us and think that we have no power. I'm not going to ask you to amen that because that would be like a good thing. But, but so often we have this incredible power. Paul writes in Romans that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each of us. And, and essentially this talk on Monday morning, which I only put, put together with this uh, in Ephesians last night or this morning... Um, was talking about the fact that we have power, that we have hope that is available to us, and yet so often it seems like we don't live in it, just like looking at the church. If, if, if there was somebody here, and I'm not going to ask you to make yourself known to us or anything like that, but if there was somebody here who was coming in for the first time and heard this passage that followers of Jesus have an incomparably great power, in other words, a power that does not compare with anything, would they believe it? <laughs> and, and, and what the speaker was saying on Monday, he was saying, well, I want to suggest, and I want to suggest this morning, that the problem, the reason for that is because we don't look to God as our source of power, but we look to try and find that power within us. So we say, how can I get more power in my life? How can I grow God's power in my life? And the example he used, I think it was a brilliant one, is it, it, he, he was saying, it's like looking at the fuel gauge on your car when you need new fuel and just staring at it and just staring at it and just staring at it and thinking that somehow by focusing as hard as possible on the fuel gauge that the fuel, that the fuel is suddenly going to fill up and what you're saying is that that's nonsense of course it's absolutely ridiculous you go to the fuel station you go to the place where you receive power and, and, and yet so often when we face situations where we want to see the power of God at work it's almost like we become kind of Monks, and I don't know whether Buddhist is the right word to say or whatever, but you know, like we meditate and we're thinking deep about ourselves and that sort of thing. And he's saying that's utterly ridiculous. Go to the source of power. Go to the source of power. As soon as you go to the source of power, the petrol station, so to speak, you will start to be inspired. These are just a few of the examples. If you go to the source of power, you will go to the one who created everything who spoke nothing into something, who created the world. If you go to the source of power, you will go to the one who saved Israel from famine through, a through an arrogant brother who was sold into slavery. If you go to the source of power, you'll go to the one who led Israel out of Egypt, chased by the mightiest army that was ever, that, that, that was known in the then world, and delivered them from that army. If you go to the source of power, you go to the one who provided for those people as they meandered around a desert for 40 years. If you go to the source of power, you go to the one who gave them victory in the promised land without a weapon being, uh, being used as they marched around Jericho. If you go to the source of power, you go to the one who makes himself fully and supremely known in Jesus, who heals who delivers, who teaches, but not like the normal teachers, but as one with authority. And ultimately the one 
who died and yet who wasn't held by the grave. That's why Paul writes, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ. That's the power that is available to us. That's the power. Just before we went down to Naturally Supernatural, I was in, I was in co-op and... Uh, the, I don't know how, how the, I said to the, the, uh, the guy, the checkout guys, you know, like, how's his day been or something like that? And he said, oh, so-so or something like that. I was like, so-so? So so could be better? Or, you know, when people say, oh, not bad. And I'm like, well, not bad. I don't want to aim for not bad. I want to aim for great. Do you know what? So, and that's your way into the conversation. Um, and... And then he started telling me about some stuff going on in his life. And I was just like, I've got to pray for this guy. Um, and I turned around and there was a queue. <laughs> and I bottled it. You thought that was going to be like one of those amazing stories, didn't you? You thought that was going to be like, and then he got slain in the spirit. And there was like healing. And there was, it didn't happen. Like, and, and so what I did is I like gave him a high five. And I was like, what I did do, I said, I'm going to go out of here right now and I'm going to be praying for that situation that you just told me about because I believe that God can heal. And so it was like a halfway house sort of thing. But imagine, imagine if I was living in the incomparably great power, I would have trusted God to look after the queue. I would have trusted God even, you know, I was saying I've got a friend and it, and it seems like whenever they're in a shop and God wants them to pray for someone, the shop empties. Like, and, and I was like saying, oh, if only I was an, as anointed as that person is. But the truth is this, I have the exact same power as that person has. They just happen to move in it better than I do. They happen to operate in it better, not because they've done anything, but because they've taken that step of boldness. And we have this incomparably great power. And that's why I didn't bring loads of application to the hope and why I didn't bring loads of application to, to the living in light of the inheritance because the truth is this we have incomparably great power and so the application is this gaze on the one spend time in the presence of the one who is the source of that incomparably great power and the hope will be re- and hope will be realized more and more often you know, it isn't that people who pray for healing of other... Well, I don't believe it is anyway. I don't believe it, it, it's that you guys or, or me aren't anointed to pray for healing. It's just that we don't do it enough. I don't believe that we're not anointed to see people become followers of Jesus. It's just because we don't do it enough. And what Paul is reminding the Ephesians here is that you have the Holy Spirit. You have incomparably great power. You have the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And in you... And and through you, God wants to do amazing and mighty things. And the, re- and the way, and with this I'm going to finish, the way in which all of this comes about is by allowing the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to be opened. It's about standing before God and saying, I don't want to stagnate. I don't want to stay where I was 10 years ago or five years ago or or two months ago if you're just a new follower of Jesus. I don't want to stay in the place that I was 50 years ago. I want the eyes of my heart to be enlightened, to be opened in order that 
I might know the hope to which he has called us. The riches of his glorious inheritance that, are gonna, that it's all going to work out in the end. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you want to go deeper with God? Do you want to I don't know, perhaps a phrase at some point, press into all that God has for you. Do you want to experience more of the now? (laughs) Even as we live in the now and the not yet. I think, as I said, I'll go back to where I started and it really is the end. My hypothesis is this, that too many of us, myself included, and not just here at Southside, a happy living somewhere further back in chronology, in time, than where we are today. And what God is calling us to is an adventure with him in the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit, getting to know Jesus better through the power of the word, inspired by, taught by the author, And as we do that, to see hope realized, to see lives changed, to see communities transformed. Wouldn't wouldn't that be an adventure? (laughs) Wouldn't that be something worth being a part of? Not just coming along here on Sunday because it's what we do. Come in with expectation that God is going to, you know, send us out like a catapult back into the world to be changers and bringers of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And again, we thank you and we ask you that you would teach us, that you would go on teaching us. We thank you for hope. We thank you that we have an inheritance that is greater than any house or home or any amount of money in the bank. And we thank you that we have a power that is unrivaled in history. Would you help us to to live all these things out, God?